Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. John O'Donohue was, um, the late John O'Donohue was a poet, a retired Catholic priest, and a great promoter of Celtic spirituality. And he was a speaker of Gaelic, and he wrote this blessing called binacht. The word binacht means blessing. And I'll, I'll give you one more word that shows up in the poem, kurach, C-U-R-R-A-C-H, is a a boat made of canvas and wood. And so this, this word appears in here. Benacht. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance beneath you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors Indigo, red, green, and azure blue come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the kurak of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, may there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you, an invisible cloak to mind your life. I love this poem. It was shared with me at a difficult moment in my life. And our theme this month is delight. But this poem, this blessing is not so much about delight. It's about grief and the possibility of healing from grief. Sometimes I have thought of grief and delight as two ends of a spectrum. But more these days, I think of them as two particularly salient points on the intricate interior web of our inner life. Grief, I just love that I'm going to have this uh, stereo and I'm going to work around it. Grief and relief, not as ends of a spectrum, but as two particularly salient points on, and, and maybe loud points on the web of our inner life. Both can be loud at times. When grief is loud, it may be a deafening silence. Grief may feel like a loud, deafening silence. It may be a deep, ringing gong. And delight, which sometimes to me feels a little frothy, 
the word delight. I'm delighted. Feels a little frothy. But delight has some, it can have a little substance to it. And its bell sound in my head is a, is a lighter, tinkling peal of bells. There's so much delight to be found. And my thought is that the more we cultivate delight, the more we can build a bulwark against despair when it shows up so that despair doesn't swamp us over. Despair will come because we are human. Despair will come. But delight will also come because we are human. And we can cultivate that delight. Kendall Gibbons was the minister here at First Unitarian Society from 1998 to 2012, and she was one of my teachers when I was in seminary. Her words ring in my head often, sometimes like a gong, sometimes like a (laughs) tinkling bell. Kendall was a wise, wise woman. She wrote this about spiritual maturity. Just as we grow and mature physically and keep ourselves healthy with regular exercise, just as we grow and mature mentally and develop our minds through learning, just as we grow and mature emotionally and deepen our relationships by intentional sharing, sharing ourselves with others, just as we grow and mature ethically and build moral character from the values to which we are loyal, So I am persuaded that we grow and mature spiritually as well. Religious community exists to hold out the possibility and the importance of that inner ripening. To suggest that our humanity is most fully realized as we become more spiritually mature. Now read this last part again. Religious community, this congregational community that we share, where we come and we work out our ethical lives, we work out our challenges, we hold each other up in our joys and our sorrows, we raise our children together, we inculcate them with the values that we hold dear, we decide how we want to act out in the world, how we want to show up in the world for justice. Religious community exists to hold out the possibility and the importance of inner ripening to suggest that our humanity is most fully realized as we become more spiritually mature. One of the questions that we ask nowadays in our new member pathway to membership is when you join this congregation, how do you imagine your life may be different 10 years down the line? And how do you imagine the congregation may be different 10 years down the line? Now, some of you have been around quite a while. And our congregation is richer and stronger 
because of your long-time commitment, showing up Sunday after Sunday, showing up to board meeting after board meeting, God bless you, <laughs> showing up for the work of the congregation, to play music on Sundays, to run uh, the soundboard, to work in the back, to um, feed us meals downstairs in the kitchen, to um, uh, run the auction, to do all of the things that need doing in the congregation. And by doing that, doing it ethically and doing it as love is the spirit of this place, this is what we create together. When I ask that question, how do you imagine that your life may be different after you've been here for 10 years or so, it's hard to imagine what life will be like in 10 years. And some of the things that I can imagine are maybe not so pleasant. It'll be hotter, it'll be, uh, as we navigate our way through the apocalypse, things will become more difficult for more people. But we will be here, we hope, we will be here together creating this community that we hold dear together. But I also want to know, what do we imagine that our internal life will be like? Will, how will I have grown in that inner ripening? So you may think back 10 years and think, how have I grown spiritually? I'm using those two things interchangeably, inner ripening or spiritually. If you don't care for that word, please don't get hung up on it. How have you grown? How have you matured and become more adept at navigating the difficulty of the world? I think a promise of spiritual maturity or inner ripening is to become more adept at managing the difficulty of the world or finding an inner, both an inner softness so I don't have to lash out, but also my own strength. We all face challenges in our day-to-day -day life. And if what we do here together as a congregational community doesn't help us navigate better, then, then we're just a social club, right? So that's my question to you, is an invitation to think about how have you grown in that inner ripening and what work do you have yet to do? I want to suggest a couple of ways that inner ripening can happen from the perspective of delight, um, and some of it takes some work. One of the ways that inner ripening happens is through the work of therapy. Um, I, some of you have heard me say, I would no more uh, go without seeing my therapist than I would without brushing my teeth. Um, I, I believe in it so strongly, and, and it's essential in my life, even when I don't have a specific thing to work on, somebody listens to me for an hour and is, for someone in a helping profession, it's good for somebody to have their focus uh, on, on what that, what's happening interiorly. But I think we can all benefit from uh, therapeutic 
conversations. And I'll just say parenthetically that we're renewing, at First Unitarian Society, we're renewing our connection to Mental Health Connect, which is uh, a citywide uh, organization that helps people get connected to therapy. And if you are looking for or think you need to connect with therapy, there are ways that we can do so, and I would be glad to be a resource, and others in the congregation will do so as well. It's a lot of work. Whew! Therapy can be a lot of work. But the payoff is great, and delight is available on the other side of the hard work. When you see, oh, I may be able to handle that situation that used to baffle me. Or I may be able to not beat myself up because I did not handle it the way I wanted to. That's no small thing. Delight is available there. The other thing I want to speak about is joy spotting. Joy spotting. Joy spotting is free. It's a simple practice of tuning your attention to joy in your surroundings. It's free, easy. It can be done in just a few seconds. And the best part, the more you do it, the more joy you will see. The more joy you'll start to recognize. You might look up as you're out for your walk and see balloons or uh, uh, birds that attract you. Or look down and see somebody's groovy shoes. That's just a moment of joy. You might keep your eye out for color. Somebody's got some great groovy color in their hair. You might see circles or shapes or symmetry. Somebody's wearing a really attractive gingham shirt that you just like. And so you, that's, I'm looking at you, Brother Paul. <laughs> that's a little moment of delight, right? That's just something to look out for. You can look for weirdness in a world that feels a little bit buttoned up. Keep your eye out for the weird. And the unusual, that can often bring delight. Looking with all, seeing with all your senses, what feels good to your hand or smells good to your nose? Or, or what do you hear? Oh, the delight this morning you're a, of your music. When I was in early before you all arrived, I had brought some flowers and I got to sit here arranging flowers while Europe practiced, and that was sheer delight this morning. Joy spotting helps us cultivate delight, and that can build a bulwark against despair. Delight may, in its small moments, feel a little frothy, but you put those small work moments together and they can build something strong and substantial against despair that could swamp us. Let me tell the story again of the flower celebration, this 100th anniversary of the flower celebration. This was an effort to find delight in a difficult time. And this is the story of Norbert Chopik. His mother was a devout Catholic, his father agnostic. He became an acolyte at age 10 in 1890 at St. Martin's Catholic Church in Czechoslovakia. 
was it Czechoslovakia in 1890? Would that, that be the right name of the country? Say again. Part of the Habsburg Empire. Okay. In the years that followed, he became disillusioned. His priest was a cynic. Cynicism. It, at age 18, he apprenticed to his uncle in Vienna, and he discovered the Baptists and became a Baptist minister. And he founded almost a dozen Baptist churches from Ukraine to Budapest. And slowly, his faith became more and more liberal. He left Bohemia under government threat and accepted a call to serve a Baptist church in New York City. Now, y'all know that the Baptists in New York City are not like the Southern Baptists, right? I just want to make sure we're clear. He became more liberal and a Baptist. Just get that right, okay? Until one day in 1919, and he wrote in his diary, I cannot be a Baptist anymore, even in compromise. The fire of new desires, new worlds is burning in me. Norbert and his wife, Maya Chopek, joined a Unitarian church in New Jersey in 1921. For the same reason a whole lot of you did. Their children like the religious education program. That's the power of our Sunday school, right? World War I ended, and the Chopics returned to their home country, now independent, now Czechoslovakia. There we go. His Unitarian Church was the Prague Liberal Religious Fellowship. And in just 20 years, they had a membership of 3,200 people. The traditional Christian communion service of bread and wine wouldn't meet the needs of his congregation because his church, like our congregation, had people who believed different things. So Chopik turned to the countryside, the beauty of the countryside and the flowers there. In 1923, he developed the flower ceremony. He asked his congregants to bring a flower to a Sunday service from their gardens or the field or the roadside, and he invited each person to place their flowers in a vase. And there was the church community, no less for being, no less unique for being united. Following the service, each person could take a flower from the vase, a different one than the one they brought. Now, Chopik was a visionary minister with a church ahead of its time, a bold congregation, a congregation thinking beyond its doors, beyond what it thought was possible. It was a congregation willing to take risks, to make tough decisions, to bear disappointments, to build a new way. That's like this, this place. That was Chopik's church. For this, the Gestapo arrested him in 1942. The Nazis accused Chopik of listening to foreign broadcasts and sent him to the Dachau concentration camp. Even in starvation and torture, he held a flower ceremony with his fellow prisoners, finding whatever flowers they could among the weeds of the camp. They testified to a beauty larger than themselves and a love that would outlive them. The Nazis killed Norbert Chopik, but his spirit 
courage and commitment live on to this day, these qualities have passed on to us now to make them real. His wife, Maya, brought the flower ceremony to the Unitarian Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1940. And at the end of our service today, as Yura plays her final song, it'll be a little while, you are invited to come up and take a flower, even if you didn't bring one. We've got extras. And we're not creating some kind of historical reenactment, something over and done, but an affirmation of our continuity with generations of struggle over ever-widening liberty. This flower ceremony, as beautiful as it is, is not a diversion from ugly reality, but a gentle fierceness which proclaims that in the midst of sinister days, there will always be the light of beauty. We're not here to recall something that happened, but to remember something that is happening, to remember, to put it back together again. And in that remembering, may we put ourselves back together again, a part of this community, to find delight, to find our delight, to cultivate delight as a part of inner ripening, that I may learn from you how you cultivate delight and participate in that inner ripening. What flower do you grow? What flower do you bring? And that you may learn that from me as well. Today we celebrate this ritual with solemnity and joy. And I will say what I should have said at the beginning, that many of these words in this story are written by Teresa and David Schwartz. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.